Good morning. The reading today is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 4, starting at verse 26. The parable of the growing seed. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted... It grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dom. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here this morning. Um, I'm Mark. For those of you who don't know me, I'm part of the team here. And it's my delight to um, be with you this morning. We are continuing today in our series called Discoveries That Changed Life for Good. And this morning we're going to be talking about how the kingdom grows. Two steps forward, one step back. So our passage today, as we've just heard, introduces to the concept of the kingdom of God. And it likes it to a farmer or somebody who spreads seeds that germinate, unseen, hidden in the ground, quietly, and then automatically they sprout and they grow and are then harvested. The second parable talks about a tiny seed, the mustard seed, which grows into a massive plant. And it's noted not for its crop, but for its size and the fact that the the birds can shade in its branches. The third section is, as I described earlier in the the earlier service, what is possibly the most unhelpful passage in the Bible. Mark says that Jesus told many such parables and in private he would explain to his disciples the meaning of the parable. Next paragraph. Nothing. Nothing. 
Well, as I said this morning, that's good news for me because it means I can uh, tell you about uh, somebody that, um, somebody who I think exemplified, whose life and work exemplified these two parables. And so I'm going to talk about a seed, a person who went through life hidden and unnoticed, forgotten and ignored, who lived his life in obscurity and solitude. And so I'm going to speak to you about one of my uh, heroes, uh, the missionary James Fraser. And I don't know if we've got a picture of him. That'd be good. And, and since I, I've looked all week for his biography on my shelves and I can't find it, so I've had to summarize some articles and biographies that I found online. My apologies for that. There's quite a bit to get through. Here we go. James Outram Fraser, sometimes not called Fraser of the Lisu Land, was a gifted engineer and concert pianist who in 1910, just 22 years old, left England to minister to the Lisu people in the remote southwestern China. He was among the first to bring the gospel to the Lisu. He was the first to put the Lisu language into script and translated the scriptures into Lisu. For years he lived alone. Few people knew James Fraser or knew of him. Fraser's first six years in China were marked by struggle and loneliness. With no fruit in his ministry, he battled intensely with depression, physical weakness, and malnourishment. Despite some initial conversions, numerous challenges and spiritual battles quickly ensued. When new converts encountered illness and difficulties in life, they often rejected their new faith, returning to their old habits of alcoholism promiscuity and ancestor worship. Fraser knew all about two steps forward, one step back. Though actually, in his case, as we'll see, it was more like one step back, two steps forward. Because Fraser found himself here in the middle of a spiritual battle that he certainly was not prepared for. But he also made some discoveries that changed his life for good. During this period of unfruitfulness, he, he received a magazine from England in which he read and learned about the importance of the prayer of faith. And he realized that much of his prayer time had been wasted through ineffective praying. And with this revelation, Fraser started to pray for hundreds of Lisu families to give their lives to Christ. The rest, they say, is history. Because Fraser soon saw a remarkable breakthrough in his evangelistic work when initially some 3,000 tribes people were saved in a very short space of time. How about you? Do you feel like Fraser, you're battling with no seeming fruit in your spiritual life? I know I do. Do you say your prayers and wait, hoping, wondering if God will answer? I know I do. You sometimes feel lonely, depressed, and forgotten by God. I know I certainly have. 
Do you long to have the kind of breakthrough that Fraser saw? I know I do. Do you want to know what was the secret of Fraser's success? I know I do. So I'm going to return to the story of Fraser in a moment, but for now, I just want to quote another commentator. Terry Virgo had this to say of Fraser. We see in Fraser God's way of success, a trinity of prayer, faith, and patience. Prayer, faith, and patience. We're going to begin, for those who are taking notes, with prayer. Verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher... Don't you care if we drown? Wake up, Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? Now that's a prayer. No, that is a prayer. It's a prayer, but not as we know it. What it lacks in elegance, it makes up for in directness and brevity. I'm sure you'll agree. And I remember some years ago, um, hearing John Wimber speak at what I think was probably his last visit to the UK. He was suffering from a throat condition, I think cancer. Uh, he had to frequently moisten his mouth so he could speak with an aerosol. He spoke then about his own prayer life and after years of spearheading an, an incredibly flourishing and successful renewal ministry and after years of faithful prayer, he said his prayer life had consisted chiefly of one prayer, and that was, help, help. And I spoke here not so long ago about Hannah, Hannah Samuel's mother, who the Bible tells us screamed out in her distress to God, screamed out when her life became intolerable well Fraser took notice of this and this is what he writes about Anna how much prayer is of the quality we find in Hannah's bitterness of soul when she prayed to the Lord how many times have we ever wept sore before the Lord we have prayed much perhaps but our longings have not been deep compared to hers I've quoted this many times. Spurgeon said, he who prays without fervency does not pray at all. We cannot commune with God who is a consuming fire if there is no fire in our prayers. Do we want Jesus to wake up? Do we want God to hear us? The psalmist did. In Psalm 55 it says, evening, Morning and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Wake up, Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? 
Back to Fraser. Frequently, the mountainside would witness the piercing pleadings of this man who counted his prayer time not by minutes, but by hours. Fraser was not a man who merely said prayers. He travailed in prayer. He knew the spiritual necessity of wrestling and agonizing in prayer. You know, but he, he not only prayed alone. One of the conditions we make when we have an Alpha course is that we also, alongside the hosting team, have a prayer team. They are essential to the Alpha course. They're essential members of the team. Because the battle is not won with clever arguments and slick videos. The battle is won in the heavenly realms. It's a battle against spiritual powers. Look at verse 39. He got up, that's Jesus, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus speaks to the waves and he says to the wind, be quiet. Is he a nutter? The word used here is literally the word to muzzle. He muzzles the wind. Because Jesus knew that this was a spiritual battle. And Fraser knew he was first and foremost in a spiritual battle. And so he got reinforcements. Back in England, a prayer group was established by his mother. Mothers never underestimate the power of a praying mother. Fraser wrote to this group, I'm not asking you to just give help in prayer as a sort of sideline, but I am trying to roll the main responsibility of this prayer warfare onto you. I want you to take the burden of these people upon your shoulders. I want you to wrestle with God for them. Another commentator. This prayer group took up the challenge and breakthrough happened. Within months of this earnest prayer, the floodgates opened and 129 families, representing about 600 Lisu, were the first to come to Christ. And we also are in a spiritual battle. As I say, I'm so grateful for the Alpha Prayer Group. And I know there are many people, prayer warriors and St. Michael's, who would join us if they could. Because it's tough getting people to sign up for Alpha. It's tough to see them coming along week by week. And to get them to come to the Alpha Weekend, which we'll have this coming weekend. It's tough for our children who are growing up in a world where they are going to be taught all sorts of things that are contrary to the word of God. Convincing arguments. It's a spiritual battle. The battle will be won in prayer. So like Fraser, we need people who will pray, pray, and pray again. So couple of few practical recommendations. Why don't you consider joining one of our prayer pods? You'll see them on the website. Or you could join the church warden's prayer meeting, which happens before this service at 10.30 each Sunday. 
Uh, we'd be delighted to, if you joined us on the prayer team for the next Alpha course. Terrific. Uh, but more than anything, all of us can begin today at home or wherever you pray. Like Fraser. You can begin to cry out to God until he hears us. Second point, faith. Let's pick up the story again. Verse 40, Jesus said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So we need to talk about faith. And I'm not talking about faith like belief, like somebody might ask, what faith are you? And you might say Christian, Muslim, Jewish. No, we're talking about faith as Hebrews 11 defines it, which is this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You see, faith is not hope. Hope is what we hope for. It's kind of uncertain. The Bible tells us there's another kind of hope, a certain hope. There are things that will happen, promises that God has made that we can rely on, like resurrection. That's biblical hope. But even that is not faith. It doesn't say now hope is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That would be meaningless. Faith also is not praying and then waiting to see the outcome. Faith is the substantial evidence of what you don't yet see. The evidence of what you hope for. It's knowing your prayers have been answered when you pray them. Back to Fraser's biographers. Fraser learned, that's through the magazine he received, the importance of the prayer of faith and realized much time had been wasted through ineffective praying believing God would answer instead of knowing that he, God, had already answered and receiving this answer when the prayer was offered. With this revelation, Fraser asked in faith for hundreds of Lisu families to give their lives to Christ. Faith is that knowing that Fraser talks about. It's described here, his diary entry after one such prayer session. After much pressure, even agony in prayer for Lisu souls, I was enabled to break through into liberty and to pray the definite prayer of faith for signal blessing among the Lisu during the next few months. Much peace and rest of soul after making that definite prayer an almost ecstatic joy to think of the Lisu families I am going to get. You see, he prayed until he knew God had answered already. Commenting on Fraser, the Revival Library has this to say. To our shame, some of the most basic spiritual disciplines of our godly forefathers have become strange and unfamiliar to us. One of the most effective weapons of the praying saints of old was the discipline of praying through. J.O. Fraser both encouraged 
and practiced this powerful reality. One John five verse fourteen puts this very succinctly. This is the confidence we have in Him, that is God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of Him. We know that we have the petitions we have asked of Him. When? When the the prayers are fulfilled? No. When we say our prayers? No. When God hears us? No. But when we know that God has heard us, that is faith. That's the substance of things hoped for. Faith is in when we know he has heard us. Listen to this from Terry Virgo again. By 1916, J.O. Fraser saw a remarkable breakthrough in his evangelistic work. Some 3,000 tribes people were saved in a very short space of time. People congratulated him on the success and wrote warm letters of appreciation to which he responded. Some may say, Your prayer has at last been answered. No! I believe it was January the 12th, 1915. That's a whole year before. January the 12th, 1915, that I was definitely led to ask God for several hundreds of families from the Lisu. I took the answer then. I believed then that I had it. Do you remember that entry in his diary? When he talked about, I broke through in faith. I broke through into liberty, he puts it. He knew in January 1915 that he had the petitions he was asking of God. He knew in January 1915 the substance of the, of the things he hoped for and the evidence of the things that he, he had not yet seen and he would not see until 1916 a whole 12 or 18 months later. Once you know you have got Jesus' attention, that your prayers have roused the living God, when you know that God has heard you, just stand back and wait for the fireworks. He got up, it says in verse 39, he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Just an aside here, why does Jesus scold the disciples for their lack of faith? And for that matter, faith in what? Some general belief that all will be well, all will be well. Verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now when you or I say, let's do this or that, there is a high degree of uncertainty in whether we will 
achieve that. In fact, James actually tells us not to say that. He says, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. But you know, when Jesus says something, that's a whole different matter. When he says, we're going over to the other side, the second person of the Trinity, that is a whole different matter. When God says something, that is something you can put your faith in. So that's why he rebukes them. Third point, patience. Back to our passage. As I said at the beginning, right before this incident, he tells two parables about the kingdom. Sown, seeds being sown, quietly growing, until a mature plant is harvested, and the mustard seed, the smallest of the seeds, how it grows into a huge bush. And in both, the sower waits patiently for the outcome. So let me simply apply this observation at the time of his departure to China, some said it was absolutely wrong for Fraser to waste and bury his talents on the mission field. Not only that, but he went to the most mountainous and remotest region of China, completely cut off from the outside world. And while he was there, he was virtually forgotten. If ever a seed was sown in the ground and forgotten, it was James Fraser in Lissuland. And his diary entry for January 16th read this. And this, remember, is after his breakthrough in prayer. He's trusting God now for these souls that he prayed a whole year earlier. He writes this, January 16th, 1916. Not a single person at the service this morning. The walls of Jericho fell down by faith. Of all the instances of faith in Hebrews 11, this corresponds most nearly to my case. But not faith only was necessary. The wall fell down after it had been encompassed about for seven days. Seven days patience was required and diligent compassing of the city every day, which seems to typify encompassing the situation by regular systematic prayer. He already knew that he had faith. But he says not faith only was needed, but patience, prayerful patience also. It's recorded elsewhere that that same year, 1916, there was a real move of the spirit among the Lisu, resulting in, listen to this, 60,000 baptisms within only two years. The Lisu church continued to grow and eventually became one of the largest tribal Christian bodies in the world. The Wikipedia entry for the Lisu people says this. Hidden within the mountain ranges of southwest China, Christianity is thriving in the Salween River Valley, where the Lisu live nearly 70 years after the death of Fraser. As of 2007, there are estimated to be to be 80 to 90% of the population making a Christian profession. In Yunnan, it is estimated that there are 100,000 to 200,000 total Lisu Christians in the Lisu church. 
1992, the Chinese government officially recognized Fraser Alphabet, the Fraser Alphabet as the official script of the Lisu language. In 2008, the Chinese government's Religious Affairs Bureau proposed Christianity as the official religion of the Lisu. Today, Fraser is remembered as one of Christianity's most successful missionaries. He knew that hope is what God has promised us. He knew that prayer is weaponizing those promises back to God. He knew that faith is the concrete assurance that God has heard you. And that patience is standing in that faith until you witness the outcome. James O. Fraser. One seed buried quietly growing unseen. The kingdom of God in Lisuland, one tiny mustard seed becomes one giant tree. Prayer, faith, patience, these are discoveries that will change your life for good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we feel often more like the 1915 Fraser than the 1916 Fraser. Lord, we know that we are unfruitful, that we lack vibrant prayer lives, that we're uncertain of the outcome of our prayers. Lord, we pray that you will take this word to our hearts that we will indeed experience the kind of breakthrough that Fraser saw in his day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.